You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 136 of the MXU podcast. I'm Jeff Sandstrom, and I'm here with my co-host today, Jay Desai. How you doing, buddy? Man, I'm doing good. So that's a little cup of your morning coffee because we're not in the same time zone today because you are a little bit out west. Tell everybody where you are today. Well, I'm on this little peninsula on the edge of it in Mexico doing the Lord's work and drinking a triple express, espresso. I almost said espresso. I hate it when people do espresso. <laughs> espresso. There's no X in espresso. Especially when you're in Cabo. Yeah, man. There's just no need for that, you know? I'm looking at a pretty, uh, pretty beautiful thing. There's a boat in the cove, sandwiched between some mountains. The sun's out. What a life. It's amazing. Just serving the Lord. I mean, you know what? Someone's got to turn up that sure accident fate. We, we flew with accident down here, by the way. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So what's the event? Who are you working with? Uh, we're doing a fundraising event for a nonprofit. And uh, last time we were down here, we didn't have good wireless, so we just packed some. Um, I did find this out, by the way. We all, we all traveled with some Pelicans, but the, the trick is one Pelican, one rolling luggage, and they don't really check you. But a colleague of ours had um, two Pelicans, and they didn't care what was in it except two laptops are an issue. Uh, and uh, we looked at the, uh, the paperwork and sure as it says right there, two laptops. So why uh, is that a red flag? I wonder they think you're going to bring them in to sell them or something. I don't know. I mean, yes, I, I don't know, but hey, either way, the federales didn't get me this time. I just ran <laughs> this time. <laughs> yeah, I've been known to get I've been gotten by the federales, but I will tell you this: I I had such a uh, the crew, a couple of the guys I'm with, Ryan and Chris at DPAV, and some of those. I, we've built some rapport with the local uh, production company here, and seeing them once a year, or once or twice a year for some of these events has been really great. Feels like we really turned a corner. They served us so well, and we joked like to offer them jobs back in the U S cause they just work hard and they're just so kind. And, uh, That's very then cool. I was like, no, absolutely not. That'll make me have to work harder. So I don't want to do that, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was great. But I, I gave, uh, David, my friend David here, my Sinek sound bullet cause he liked it so much. And, uh, he had one of those, uh, Behringer like cable testers. So the, that Sinek sound bullet tester thing just blew his mind, which was awesome. I take stupid stuff like that for granted. Yeah, yeah. Well, while we're giving a shout out to Sound Bullet, why don't you describe what it is for people who've never heard of it? Because it's actually a great tool that I think every live production person should have access to. So talk everybody through what it is. Don't wear it on your hip. That's not cool. Um, <laughs> let's Let's start wearing less stuff on our hips, I think. Or... Fewer carabiners. Yeah. yeah Let's yeah. go full combat mode and then just strap up on everything. Um, it is a cable tester, much like the Q-Box, and it's designed uh, by these European uh, guys that have made it very compact. We've all carried a Q, uh, Whirlwind Q-Box or the Behringer Cable Tester and some of these other great uh, 
testers around, but they've basically uh, made it real compact. It almost looks like uh, one of those ridiculous vape things that people use, you know? <laughs> like, first off, if you vape, stop. It's not good. You can't make smoke without fire. I'd rather you just smoke something with fire than, than <laughs> u- use fake science. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to condone any of this stuff, but no vaping. Cool? Everyone stop vaping. No vaping, for sure. Yeah. We don't know what it does. Yeah, the sound bullet, though, does look like an extra large vape device. Yeah. That's funny. But it's got it's got a ton of connectors in it, though. ton of connectors. It's rechargeable, which is super awesome. Um, the little speaker in it is great. I, uh, the nice thing is with some of those other cable testers, you used to have to carry around like a, a 6-inch or 12-inch like XLR. So you could get, but this goes straight into snakes. You can send tone. Um, it's got oscillator little speaker it's, it's got a quarter inch connector it's got a little pouch that goes in anyways it's a great tool i would never want to carry one of the bigger guys like in my backpack but this one you can throw in your backpack and you always got it and it's it's priced just like all the others i'm not knocking any of those it's great actually the i would say straight up the whirlwind q box i think has two more connectors or do, it has tt for studio guys and patch bays and has one other feature that some does not have but this sound bullet, um, and I think Rational Acoustics is selling it now in the U.S., and I know Rat is selling it in the U.S. and most stuff. So anyways, if you need a cable tester, uh, go ahead and buy two, and go ahead and bless someone with another one. Yeah, how about that? There let's you go. Money. Well, it's, let's just turn our budgets upside down the beginning of the year. You're like um, the Tom's Shoes of cable testers. You could... Uh... <laughs> you know <laughs> like a one-to-one <laughs> <laughs> one-to-one yeah one for one that's oh, funny that's so, good. so lessons from jay today one buy a sound bullet and two no vaping i think yeah, those no are pretty vaping. good tips yeah yeah so speaking of speaking of healthy tips i think um you know we need to talk about the mxu 75 a little bit so we are officially on day 11 today so we've we've come through our first 10 days and a yeah. lot of people are doing great. A lot of people are like, okay, this is kind of kind of easy so far. It hasn't been very demanding. But it's funny. I got a picture of a guy from our MXU team Slack. He said, well, when it's minus 14 outside and you still have to do your walk, then this is what happens. And he sends me a picture of him in snowshoes getting ready to go out for his 15-minute walk in a blizzard. And I'm like, this guy has got it together. I don't know if I have that amount of determination in me, but he's going for it. I'm like, bro, kudos to you. I'd, I'd be doing prison laps in the house. <laughs> Just strolling around the kitchen. <laughs> Actually, uh, during during the great shutdown, um, my sister would send me videos of my dad because we grounded my dad because he's a socialite and retired and thinks he can do whatever he wants so i took his car keys so he couldn't go anywhere and then she would send me videos of him doing laps in the backyard that's amazing like he was an inmate it was it was kind of perfect um i will tell you this this year what has actually helped me i will admit that i haven't kept up with exactly how many ounces of waters i'm drinking but i have this 32 ounce uh thing you know, whatever you put water in yeah. from that company. water bottle. I, they, they, yeah. I don't know if they call it a water bottle. It's weird. I don't know what they call it in Mexico. Um, 
but from Mir, M-I-I-R, or I don't know how you say it, but it's this 32-ounce water bottle, and it keeps my water cold all day, which has been awesome. And I'm I'm about drinking about one and a half of those. So I feel like I'm right in the 50-ounce-inch range. There you so, go. One and a half, one and a half of thirty-two is about fifty ounces. So that's forty-eight. Look at that, look at that mathematics. Um, yeah, the no snacking is hard for me because I like protein bars. But yeah, it's been it's been good. I did like I had to skip breakfast the other day because of something here. Like we were busy, and so I had a protein bar for breakfast, which felt fine. Um, the walking, honestly, is it's really easy to go for a walk in Cabo. Let's be honest with ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, beach walking is uh, pretty pretty stellar. Yeah, even the property of this um, super nice place I'm at is fun to walk around in. It's a little cold, I think, back home when I get home, um, so that might be a little harder. But yeah, it'll be in the 40s when you get home, which you know, it, it, you know, you can always put on more clothes. I feel like well, for I'm this fat, stuff, bro. I, I th- already got, I already got an extra layer. So, <laughs> well, I feel like the walking piece. Honestly, it's been something that a lot of people have kind of gotten some, I don't know, they've learned something new about themselves or they've gotten a little bit of a revelation about how much of a benefit just walking is, not just physically, but mentally, just to to decompress and to just take a breath and to just think about things and to be alone. It's like, you know, if you can walk with somebody, that's great too, but the whole contemplative nature of just going out for a walk has been a game changer for a ton of people. And I think it's huge. Well, I'd always, I'd always kind of like, uh, you know, clearly I don't have to, uh, tell y'all 40 year old single man here. Um, but like, you know, couples would go for a walk all the time or like you see, I see the same couple in my neighborhood every day going for a walk. And it wasn't until our two years ago when, I needed to dive into healthy ways to deal with some mental health stuff. Walking side by side actually has, hmm. uh, I, I don't, I'm not smart enough to remember all the things, but it communicates things silently between two humans. It's that you're arm in arm, you know, you're in it together. Hmm. So I think it's real cool. If you can go for a walk with somebody, I think it's good. And it's really hard to argue when you're side by side. Like this is true. Like you kind of, you would have to stop and face each other to to take a jab at one another, or, or which is fine too. But when you're kind of side by side walking, your breathing is better. You're thinking a little different, and so I think it's great. Go for a walk with somebody. That's um, good. You're literally in step with someone. I like that. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll need to look up uh, what all the benefits are again and refresh myself. But that was one of the big the, the big things were get out of the house especially if you have low ceilings i'm super uh um, hashtag blessed to have 20 foot ceilings and so and big windows which i don't know if i could ever live without tall ceilings i don't know yeah yeah natural light helps so much especially this time of year yeah so get out of the house and go for walks were two big things and so i think that's uh good i when i do the solo walk would consider it part of my study prayer meditation because I think uh, the my my prayer style opposed to a lot of people um, is in my subconscious always I feel like mm-hmm. God gets my my crazy brain 10 15 30 second prayers you know 
Um, and then I have friends though that make these incredible lists and can sit down and pray for 20, 30 minutes. And that's, for me, that only happens alongside music. I figured out that's the best way for me to be in that sort of contemplative prayerful state. But when I'm walking, I feel like I'm always throwing things God's way. So anyways, the 75 this year is a little different for me because it feels, and it may be the season I'm in, I don't really know, but it feels like I'm feeling it a little more. And, and I'm not really doing it uh, well communally because I've been traveling a bunch. And right. so I'm excited about jumping in with a few people back home, but it, it has really helped my insides more than it's probably helped uh, on the physical side so far. Couple days. You know, That's great. Well, so you know, yeah. we're we're ten days in, so your your physical side still has plenty of time to catch up, and I think it will. I mean, I think starting in day twenty to twenty five is when some of the physical stuff starts to ramp up, especially as we add the exercise component in a more intensive way. That starts day twenty five or so, and so I think for people who don't know what we're talking about, you got to go to getmxu.com slash mxu seventy five and figure out how to jump in. It's not too late. You can join anytime. Um, right now we're on day 11. So days 11 through 15 are a certain rubric of what you're supposed to do. And then starting on day 16 to 20, we do more things. And basically we stack a habit every five days to get to uh, on the 75th day, which is Easter weekend, to be able to say, hey, here's a list of things that we've accomplished over the last several months that are going to just make us better. Phys- physically, emotionally, spiritually, and in community. So thanks for joining us in on that. Um, Jay, I feel like you need to head home, though, because aren't you supposed to be working on our MXU Live event for this year? Well, Jeff, I'm kind of like the Holy Spirit. I'm everywhere. I can do what I need to do wherever <laughs> I am. Um, I'm going to need someone to second and third that motion so I don't get hit by lightning. Uh, wherever you are, give me an amen. Um, I am working on it. I'm working on it. We've got some fun stuff, I think, uh, that is going to be awesome. So give me a little bit. Keep asking. I like the pressure. Also, I'm trying to figure out how to you know, travel a little bit, too. So I want to see people. So if you see that I'm in your city, hit me up. I will totally meet you for a non-vape hang. So we can't let too many details out of the bag yet because we're still finalizing a bunch. So Jay, I appreciate your work on that. And as soon as we have those details, we're going to get tickets on sale. We're going to give you all the lowdown. But let me just say that we're going to have a combination of events this year. We're going to have um, workshop type events at MXU HQ. And we're also going to have a tour type event uh, similar to what we've done in the past that is going to blow your mind. So Details will be coming soon, and we can't wait to share those with you. So in the meantime, what you got coming up, Jay? I am actually working on a tour right now for Mr. Bob Goff, my legal team. Oh, good. Um, in March, we're going to be traveling traveling around a little bit. Actually, um, Tomlin was here at this event. And let me just tell you, it was just as acoustic and vocal, and it was great. and I used f6 and the api 2500 on both and it was magic my my man can sing so that helps he can sing and yeah uh and then the one h word for both 
I threw them both into one H verb. I premixed his ears because we didn't get a sound check, and all he asked me for was a tad more acoustic. Winning, I'm winning with Mr. Tomlin. Last time I mixed ears for him, hashtag winning. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, he he was actually in the room next to me, but he left this morning. Um, his ears aren't easy, so it no. doesn't matter if there's one input or a full band. Mixing ears for Chris, yeah, he's got some some specific preferences, which are um, not standard all the time. But speaking of uh, Senior Tomlin, um, I actually got the call from the bullpen to help out with them on their spring tour. So our friend Stephen Bailey, who mixes for Chris um, on the regular, um, has some family obligations. And so I'm going to fill in for him for the first part of the tour. And I'm super excited. Um, For those of you who aren't familiar with what Chris is doing this spring, He's doing basically an evening with type concert, um, not in arenas, but in churches. And so go to chrystomlin.com and check out the schedule because if he's coming to you in your town, you're not going to want to miss what this, what this evening is going to be. I'm, I'm excited. I've seen the set list. I've seen some of the plans, and it's going to be super cool. Basically him telling the stories behind some of the songs, playing big versions of the songs like you would hear at a big conference or concert in arena but then also some of the songs will be super broken down and you'll kind of get an inside look into the stories behind the song and a more intimate portrayal of what these songs can be so it's going to be really fun really meaningful and a great night of worship so check it out for sure come see me and say hi because i will love to hang out with you and let you check out what's going on that's awesome that's going to be fun boys will be glad to have you back Yeah, I'm excited about it. So I think we need to get to our interview today. I had a great conversation, uh, I don't know, a little bit ago with um, Kevin Madden from Allen & Heath. So for those of you who use Allen & Heath consoles, he's going to give you a sort of inside look into the company and their history and also some of the capabilities of their desks. And I can't wait for you to hear the combo. So let's get to it. Hey everybody, I wanted to let you know about a great offer from our friends at The Church Co. They build church websites completely for free. They will handle the migration of your existing website over to their platform and can even manage it for you ongoing. The Church Co. is a complete digital platform for churches, including websites, apps, giving, prayer, small groups, SEO, Google advertising, and more. Best of all, it's integrated with all of the major CHMSs like Planning Center and PushPay, to name a couple. If you're interested in upgrading your website and simplifying its management, use our promo code MXU to save 20% on your first three months. Thanks so much. Hey, everybody. A few months ago, we had Paul Cox from Capture Collab on the podcast, and we talked about the importance of storing and organizing all of your church's photography. Capture Collab is a tool built specifically for churches to handle this. From capturing to uploading and then tagging, it's the ideal photo storage and sharing system that lets you never lose a photo again. Imagine searching for photos of people in your foyer holding a coffee and your library scoping down directly to photos meeting those specifications. If you're tired of sending out links and searching through folders, use the promo code MXU to save when you sign up for Capture Collab. 
Well, I'm really excited to be joined today by Kevin Madden from Allen & Heath. And we've been here at MXU HQ today talking about some of their consoles. And so as we were talking, there were a lot of things that came up that I thought would be good to sort of fill you in on and let you know about for those of you who listen to the podcast. So we've been looking at some of the DLive and SQ and Avantis consoles, and we're going to be recording content for the MXU platform on those desks and doing some training around their workflows and best practices and layout and all the stuff so that for those of you who use Allen and Heath and who've been asking us for Allen and Heath content for a long time, we'll actually have access to. But um, when we were talking, I thought, man, this would be great to sort of let Kevin give our podcast listeners just an inside view into Allen and Heath. So Kevin, thanks for being here. Thanks for your time today around the consoles. It was great. I look forward to digging in and getting my hands all over those desks because they are really powerful and really cool. Did you want me to recant the last four hours of comprehensive data dive here <laughs> for the listening public? We probably don't need that because we, first of all, you've, you use, you used all of your words during that time. I did use money. Yeah. Um, but um, it's some of the early history, some of the origin stories, some of the stuff about Allen and Heath that not a lot of people know. I think it's where we need to start because yeah. it was actually a pretty innovative company from way back in the day. So yep. tell us some of that early history from the early days of rock and roll in England. Like what was going on? Early days. Um, first of all, thanks for having me out here. And we did spend quite a day um, doing a deep dive. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys put together here. Um, I know you have a lot of good stuff going on and we're glad to be a part of it. Um, so Alan and Heath, uh, I'm going to... Give the authority of a sort of a thumbnail sketch of our history here with I'm gonna claim 70 to 80 percent accuracy. Okay. So I may be <laughs> I may be slightly off from how things were described to me by various old timers in the company. But, but if you're talking about the early days of rock and roll, it's probably only 60% accurate anyway. That's so correct. to get to 80%, you're <laughs> right. doing great. Um Alan Heath uh, goes back to 1969 and I may be incorrect, but I think we're probably one of the longest or if not the longest standing uninterrupted console brand uh, that's been around. Um, again, I may be wrong, but you know, when the three guys who started this company um, put it together, it was 1969. We were literally, what, two years from Woodstock being mixed on Bakelite knobs mm-hmm. and these fellas... Um, I won't bore you with the total specifics, but they were um, very smart electronics people. One of them, I believe, is rumored to have been somebody who wired cockpits in British fighter jets in the 60s. Yeah. Um, And these three fellows were hand-making small consoles. Um, I think they were called Wizard, Wizzy Mixers or something. Um, And they were low-cost desktop consoles, um, kind of, you know, what we would look at today as little, you know, podcasting. Ironically, uh, little consoles for broadcast and small event spaces and whatnot. And they started to get big enough to become a company, as in they were doing the numbers that mandated or, you know, justified becoming a, a, a British version of an S Corp or an LLC. But you told me something interesting about yeah. British corporate law at the time. Yeah. Where it was really expensive and a whole lot of paperwork to go and form a company. That's so right. this is where part of the Allen and Heath name comes from. That's right. So, so tell us that story. None of the three founders have Allen nor Heath in their names. Um, the, these three guys were 
going through the business of, you know, forming a corporation in England. And it takes a lot of paperwork and a lot of fees and a lot of waiting. And something that is, um, I believe, some people that are also uh, part of the Commonwealth concur that like in India and, and other places, British civil codes allow you to retain or access the name of um, a company that's been out of business for a number of years and just re-register it in your own name for one fee, for one application. Basically, these guys were cheap and, you know, we're looking for a fast way to get into business. And rumor has it, um, Glenn Rogers kind of told me a version of this story. The, the three of these guys are sitting outside of a, a pub having pints of beer and kind of considering what they should call themselves. Or, you know, they looked down the road and they saw this old decrepit building called Allen and Heath Brunel Limited. Um, and it was apparently somewhat of a ball bearing or a sheet metal fabrication plant that probably went out of business in the late fifties and, um, you know, just up went the pints and right. Alan and Heath then, you know, <laughs> we'll go with that. And that's where the name comes from. Literally. So they took their business name and attached it to their application for yeah. a license and the rest is history. <laughs> just that's, that's hilarious. Cheap. That's awesome. <laughs> so they started making consoles and grew and yeah. all of a sudden Pink Floyd started yeah. Understanding what Alan Heath was building. Well, Alan Parsons was pretty tight with these guys. And um, at the time, and, and again, this is where I get to like 70% accuracy. I may, somebody at the factory with legacy knowledge may correct me here, but um, Alan Parsons and the founders of Alan Heath were pretty tight. And at this time, Dark Side of the Moon was being recorded and it had yet to be issued. Um, the Alan Parsons wanted to record... Pink Floyd in the Pompeii Amphitheater, uh, which is a movie that they eventually put out, sort of an early version of a music video of them playing in basically Greek ruins, um, hits that were yet to be released on um, Dark Side of the Moon and some earlier stuff from Metal and some of those other albums. And they wanted to print it in quadraphonic. And they he collaborated with the Allen and Heath guys to make a quadraphonic mixing console. And it had two uh, appendage joysticks that, you know, could crisscross and zigzag because a, a lot of people don't realize that 5.1 actually had its roots in the 60s in quadraphonic. Yeah. But the reason quadraphonic never really took off is because we don't have four ears and there was no center channel, right? I even have an old Doors album that has, uh, you know, quadraphonic vinyl. But so they came up with this movie called Live at Pompeii. And around the same time, Dark Side of the Moon was released, um, unfortunately overshadowing the movie. It was not really a box office success, although you can find it out there. Um, and they decided to take this quadraphonic mixing console and take it live. And back in the day, if you were a kid that saw Pink Floyd in the 70s, you know, touring Dark Side of the Moon, Animals, Wish You Were Here, there was a turbo sound PA with front and rear mains. And you can imagine if you know these albums, all the cool little pig oinkings and helicopter sounds crisscrossing and zigzagging around the arena because the sound guy was playing with a joystick. That's amazing. It was probably killer. And other acts like Genesis and The Who um, also use these early quadraphonic boards. Very noisy by today's standards. But, um, you know, cutting edge. And we were a big boy arena touring brand back in the day. So fast forward through a lot of iterations of analog consoles. You know, a lot of churches had analog Allen Heath back in the day. Um, what's your history with the company? When did you get to Allen Heath and what's the, like, what, what's your sort of music industry history? Well, my 
short story is I was a, a wannabe Stevie Ray Vaughan emulator. <laughs> I was in a blues band in the early 90s in LA. And uh, I... I ended up working at a rehearsal facility because our drummer could never book the time where we were supposed to rehearse. We'd show up and the rooms were empty. So I found this Drummers. huge, I know, gosh, <laughs> they call themselves musicians. Um, I found this huge place that was um, literally a soundstage that would book acts for weeks at a time. And we started rehearsing there. And, you know, we'd always have to have a sound guy come in. I think there were like 3208s or 3204 Yamaha monitor mixing consoles back in the day. And it was always terrible. And I would bug the owner about, you know, how to do sound because, you know, the guy who dialed us in walked away and never came back and it was awful. And after not taking me seriously for months, he finally said, well, do you want a job painting? I said, what? And he goes, yeah, we're going to be painting the lobbies in the next week. You know, how about you come by on Saturdays or after work and, uh, yeah, we'll kind of show you how PAs work and, Sure enough, the first day I was there up on a scaffold, Motley Crew was loading in beneath me you no know, through the lobby. And that, uh, that was the genesis of a truncated live sound career, which ended a few years later. But I was a sound guy in the Hollywood nightclubs. I worked at the Roxy, have mixed at the Troubadour and Whiskey and other lesser known places, you know, kind of that era when glam yeah. rock was kind of going down and grunge rock was coming up. So... How did I get to Allen and Heath is a story of me ending up working um, for different manufacturers. So I was also a speaker reconer, okay. lovingly referred to as the garbage man of the pro audio <laughs> business, you know, a glue sniffer. And uh, JBL borrowed me from the shop that I worked at and I was repairing speakers and they offered me a job to be a customer service administrator. And I ended up doing tech support. And next thing I knew... A couple of years later, they've decided to split up some of the Harmon brands. If anybody knows this history, they'll they'll know that AKG, BSS, and Soundcraft all relocated from Southern California to Nashville. Yeah. And that was in 96. So several years at AKG, worked my way up to being a regional sales manager, hopped through a couple of other companies, finally landing at a company called Innovason, mm -hmm. which some people deride but in the evolution of digital mixing they're actually an incredibly important contributor to where we are today um it was a nightmare <laughs> i like to say I, I got on that ship you know ankle deep in water and by the time it ended <laughs> i was neck high and about to drown but um it, it was innovative but they got steamrolled yeah and uh out of nowhere i hobnob with some industry people at the NAM show. And I ran into Lynn Martin, who was the founder of American Music and Sound. And we ended up coming to an arrangement where I worked for Allen and Heath in 2014. I'm one of their longer employees. And at that time, there were things brewing that we didn't know about yet. Gotcha. So I was essentially told to not worry about the older products. Okay. Which so we can cover a little bit. Well, that, yeah, that brings us to sort of the history of some of our audience's impression of Allen and Heath in the digital domain That's because right. a lot of everything was about to change. A lot of people, <laughs> you mentioned Allen and Heath and digital, and they think, yeah, eh, had a bad experience. I mixed on iLive and it was terrible, or I had a console and it was buggy, buggy, not functional, whatever. Definitely so, in pro touring circles. So some of those not appreciated. Yes, some of that bumpy road caused a bit of a reputational ding that 
obviously the new products are and have corrected. So let's More talk. Than corrected, yeah, yeah, let's talk about sort of Allen and Heath today. So when I came on board, that was in fact really the parting of the waters, so to speak, for what was about to happen at Allen Heath. And of course, it had nothing to do with me. But um, <laughs> the iLive, uh, which is what we're talking about, was at the end of its life. It, it ran about 10, 11 years, I think. And it, it initially was a very competent 64 by 32 bus machine. It just hit the ground on its knees. It had very minimal engineering resources behind it. And the ability to fix problems was sluggish early in the day. I think there were three DSP, actually three engineers in total, that were responsible for the iLive. And for, for reasons I won't go into, it was kind of pushed out to market a little earlier than it should have, which skinned the knees of the brand. And yeah. you know, the touring folks, everybody who looked at this machine and said, okay, forty-two dollars or $45,000, I can get a 62, 64, 32 bus machine with eight effect engines. I'll take one. Because what else was out in 2006? You're right. spending 70, 80, 100 grand yeah. to get into a real digital board. Um, the iLive had a long run. It was eventually successful, repaired, came out in lower cost versions, which ironically did best in church markets. Mm. Um, touring barely touched it. Handful of people. It, it was just derided. Well, because touring is all about reliability and yeah. being able to ride down the road on a truck and open it up the next day and have it work. And that, you know, there were only a few brands at the time who could withstand the rigors of the road. Sure. And so people were, you know, understandably leery of something, especially if you've had a problem with it in the past. Why should I try something new? Because it might be the same old, same old. So, um, but then DLive has, yep. has come out and it's hit the market and you guys are crushing it. So we're doing pretty well. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's, it's a, it's definitely, you know, exponentially better in terms of not only reliability and connectivity and all that, but features and operability and all that stuff is just, it, it's been a bit of a game changer. And we have a lot of people listening who use DLive and SQ and sort of in the ecosystem of the, the new version of Allen & Heath. So for those who don't, let's just talk for a few minutes about um, capabilities and uh, functionality and some of the features that you would highlight as, hey, this this is something that makes Allen and Heath worth considering. So, at the the common thread between these three products that we're working on today and and what we're talking about is an FPGA processor that we developed um, at the retirement of iLive, and it basically became a double capable platform. So, can you talk for a minute for people who don't yep. know? FPGA. What's the difference between FPGA and DSP? Yeah, and I'll say this from a layman's perspective because I'm not a DSP PhD engineer like the guy who runs our company, Dr. Rob. Um, DSP, in simple terms, are fixed, basically fixed resource chips that have a, a number of gazins to a number of gazouts, and there's a limited amount of programming that you can do within the confines of that chip. So, for example, compressor flavors and EQ flavors and the operation of a gate. And um, But the more channels you need, the more chips you need. And do you want to go from 48K to 96? Well, you're going to double the amount of chips. And that's what pushed us into a new domain um, called FPGA processing. So FPGA stands for Field Programmable Gate Array. This is super geeky and we'll get off this real quick, but it is kind of important. Um, it's a giant open source processor that you program into existence for what you want it to be. 
they're not just used in audio and video like DSP chips. They are used at Facebook Meta, you know, uh, the campus that runs all the processing for, um, you know, a lot of social media. They're very specific purpose-built processors. They're used in robotics manufacturing and animation, film animation. You know, when you see 10,000 strands of hair in a Pixar film, for example, moving, that's not a MacBook doing that math. There are programmed, purpose-built, very narrow function processors. And that's what we did. Um, we followed another company who's our sister company. Should I say who our kindred sure. are? So Digico came out with the first programmed FPGA when the SD8 came out, yep. right? Kind of leading to the retirement of the D, one, threes, and fives. Um, a lot of people think Digico programmed our FPGA or because we're sister companies, um, you know, that there was an influence. We actually developed it um, long before. And essentially you're taking a, like I said, an open source chip and programming it, programming it into existence for what you want it to be. In our case, it took 50,000 coding hour, hours, um, something like two years, and the DLive was born. And it doubled the capacity of iLive, 128 by 64, is the, uh, and that's a fluid bus count. You can tell it whatever to be. And primarily what's why this is important for Avantis and SQ is once all that work was done, and we're talking a machine that will pass audio in 0.68 milliseconds, guaranteed phase locked. That means nothing you do under the hood of that console will cause channels to drift out of time or out of phase within their own uh, path through the desk. So um, 96K, phase coherent, um, 0.68 milliseconds. So I like to call it fast, clean, and on time. So even if you're doing internal bus-to-bus processing nothing or, will change the latency um, parallel compression yep. or anything like crush that groups. crush groups yeah it's in time the whole time correct and another just in terms of features for d live um you know the fact that it's 96k native the fact that you have parallel processing on every channel you know that there are a lot of things about it that make it a really good tool and a choice to be considered especially for the price point um and the plugins the the internal effects yep. the 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 stuff that's not just the onboard eq and compression is stunning the, em the emulations are really good we have a whole little corner of our engineering department that just does plugins emulations and have for a long time and uh dr rob clark who now is the managing director of our company was the head of engineering and was the head of the emulations team um, when we do a, a model of a compressor, there's a little 15 minute story about each version. I mean, you can see a familiar cartoon picture, you know, yeah. in the software, or if you go look them up online, but they are in fact modeled, um, scrupulously, uh, with integrity. Um, it's not just a pretty picture of some 40 year old thing. It's, well, it's funny. You it's were the real deal. <laughs> you were showing me one of the emulations is a very familiar, um, opto compressor. Oh, right. And there's a little button on the on the interface that yep. says burn. Well, nobody knows what that is, but back in the day, back in the you day. know, for those who know how an opto compressor works, there is a light bulb inside yep. that basically, you know, T4B. Yes, and basically when when stuff reflects off that light bulb, it engages gain reduction Correct. or limiting. Yep. Well, as those bulbs would dim over time yep. or literally burn out, they would have different characteristics yep. throughout their life cycle of the actual bulb. So if you hit burn 
it's actually it's emulating emulating the bulb worn burning out, bulb. out. Yeah, and and the whole story behind that is you know the the broadcast radio and TV folks um, had line leveling amplifiers like LA two A's and LA fours, and when those bulbs would drift out of spec, they immediately had to get rid of them. And their counterparts in the recording world quickly realized that these oddball, you know, kind of wearing out optical devices all would have a kind of a unique characteristic. And they would gather them up and put them into compressors and let's, you know, let's measure and label what all these things sound like. So the burn button is an example of, like you said, grabbing a, a worn out bulb from a broadcast facility and sticking it in a recording studio compressor and having a unique thing. Old, old meets new, <laughs> right? new meets old all the time. That's yep. great. So um, what are some other things like, obviously, you know, you talked about, you know, the, the timing internally, the sound of it's the sound of the preamps themselves, like it's super clean, really high quality conversions. Um, what are other features that you would say, especially for a house of worship, uh, considering a new console purchase, like why Allen Heath? At the heart of it, I would say it's all of our stuff are good calculators, right? So especially with the newer FPGA stuff. So, you, you know, a sound is a subjective thing. Um, Alan and Heath would say that they are, you know, some people would, I don't want to throw brand names around, you know, willy nilly, but, you know, like the Midas XL4 had a very colored sound or, you know, the Capricorns and Neves had a certain sound, whereas SSL, and I'm talking kind of, you know, other contemporary things, yeah. SSL would be very flat. Alan and Heath would strive to be somewhat the SSL, and that's not an endorsement of them or an association, although we are sister companies. Um, we are want to have a very flat, broad dynamic range um, and very low noise, even input preamplifier going through as transparent a DAC as money will allow. Yeah. Um, so at the begin at the end of the day, the calculator is solid. I hope you would think that the console is translucent or invisible as it's transceiving audio through it. Um, so that's a good starting point for all of our consoles. The other kind of totally different direction, but once you get a tutorial on on a basic walk-up, okay, you're a guest engineer. Um, you gotta, you gotta drive this show with your band or you're being asked to fill in properly schooled. I could probably get anybody a varying skill set up on an Allen and Heath console in about 10 to 15 minutes where I could walk away and they'd be okay. Yeah. Very few button presses to get your things done. You know, everything is sort of up top and available, but again, you know, all digital consoles are different. You have somebody who's schooled and they have a mindset of mixing the last five years on brand A and they come over here to brand AH. Oh my gosh, this is foreign. Mm, younger generations don't have a problem the way us old timers did. Interesting. So yeah. very approachable. I would yeah, say. it is. And I think, I think the way it's laid out, just the general ergonomics are very intuitive. But then the programmability is another thing. Like you can bend the pretzel. You can bend the pretzel yep. in any number of different ways. And really to be able to have fader layouts that are cus totally customizable to your desired workflow is a huge, you know, it's 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 available on most desks, but in terms of the way Allen and Heath does it, it seems to be one of the more flexible platforms. And there's almost an irony in this because, you know, I like to say we're in the fourth generation of digital consoles, right? Um, 
back in 2006, when I was with Anovason, it was a 100% fluid programmable surface. And iLive came out shortly after that and was a 100% fluid controllable surface. And everybody hated that. Mm. I want a master section. I want to know where my 12 augs groups are, or my 12 sends, or my DCA should be here, everything should be there. And, you know, the last generation of seasoned professional sound operators who lived their life on analog absolutely rejected the idea of fluid programmability. Now we're in an era where, you know, the people doing the work, maybe under 30, they're like, holy cow, absolutely. You know, I can put this here. I can have that there. I can swipe this off the desk. No need for this. You know, you can kind of trim and kid up what you want in front of you. And any fader can be anything yeah, at and any it, time. And, and it's now just, it's like yeah. one of the most desirable features. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, people will live on an, uh, sorry, uh, Alan and Heath for a while, and then they'll go over to another desk and go, what? I can't do this. What? I can't do that. Why does that have to be there? You know, so that that is a biggie. You can yeah. really personalize the machine to yourself, which speaks to a lot of churches' needs that are completely unique from one another, depending on the skill of the operator or the complexity and number of inputs and buses. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. One of the other things that kind of made my head spin when you were giving me the overall sort of lay of the land is expandability mm. and the whole hub and spoke model yeah, of the crazy. way the the way the infrastructure works. Yeah. So for people who are in a a scenario with multiple rooms in their facility and maybe multiple places for IO to live and all that. Just talk for a few minutes just about, without giving us a whole diagram of, yeah. here's the example. But You almost have to have a whiteboard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but just, you know, in terms of flexibility and capability, because it's, it's pretty astounding. Yeah, you're not buying a product that's just a console with all its stuff where the manufacturer puts it. And I would arguably say more so than any brand around now or even in the past, we have the most combinations and ways of deploying smaller boxes or various sized input and output things in different ways than anyone else. Um, you know, you can have, first of all, a, a DLive requires a surface and engine pair and 99 percent of common sense applications. If I want to have IO boxes scattered all across a facility, I have multiple different transmission formats, like 96 or 48K uh, options. I have the option to get into a Dante world where I can go third party and toss my stuff into a network and then capture at the other end with a Dante version Allen and Heath box. You know, um, the, the hub and spokedness can govern IO points uh, sitting at 800 by 800 cross points wow. in, in a DLive. In a Navantis, it would be 400 by 400. And in an SQ, you could have connected live about 300 by 300 things in various IO sizes. That's a lot. You need a slide deck or a whiteboard to kind of draw <laughs> this out. But you're going to be doing a training on this, so maybe we'll have some graphics. Maybe we'll get into that, yeah. It, it can be harebrained crazy yeah. how many ways you can toss audio out in different ways. And in terms of cards and things that are maybe a third-party like Waves or yeah. Dante, you have a lot of those options oh, as for well. Sure. Yeah. And our Dante cards are not using – so people who are familiar with Dante may have heard the term the Brooklyn module or the Brooklyn 2 – um, and we used to use a Brooklyn module on our older cards. It was 64 channel 48K. Um, when we developed the Dante cards, and they come in two flavors, 64 and 128 channel, depending on licensing, you know, how much you want to pay, 
we actually abandoned using the uh, pre-purchased Brooklyn module from Audinate, and we programmed our own FPGA onto a card, which will allow you to have 96 or 48K saving the channel count. So Brooklyn modules, if you want to run at 96K, you can only get 32 channels. Right, your channel count gets cut in half. That's right. Now, I'm not sure the brand new Brooklyn 3, how that works, but manufacturers can buy that and put it into their hardware. We've been making our own Dante cards um, with our own FPGAs, uh, different than the DLive FPGA, but they do have an FPGA um, for five, six years now. So, yeah. That's very cool. And Waves and Maddie and dot, dot, dot. Yeah. That's cool. So expandability, you know, inoperability in terms of networking, you know, the, the other thing that I love is no matter the form factor of the desk, the software is the same. So if you have a small format, you're talking about DLive. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a small format DLive console with maybe minimal faders is the same software as you would find in the highest fader count flagship quote-unquote console that you might have in your auditorium thing under the hood yeah the little 1500 or cti the titanium version of a 12 fader d live is becoming very popular um for smaller you know maneuverable bands that need to maybe get on an airplane the thing is 26 pounds i mean you can fly with it um but you can take that show file and walk up to a big s7000 with its biggest mix engine you know move your fader placement around where you want them to and you're up and running i mean all the same resources under the hood there are seven surfaces and seven engines and everything is identical in all of them with regards to software and feature set so if you train a volunteer on one and they need to quote grow up through the ecosystem they're going to be Operating the same software the whole time, and that's actually true of our, you know, our sister product series too. Even the old iLive, if you lived on one for years in a church, and they were popular in churches, the way you drive a DLive or an Avantis or an SQ is virtually the same. Now, internal programming under the hood, it's an absolutely completely different experience. But you know, pushing buttons and pushing faders, you know, all of our products work the same, which is. Again, something that's beneficial for uh, semi-knowledgeable operators, particularly in larger um, church complexes that may have youth rooms with smaller, you know, more affordable desks, and then the big sanctuary. If you're trained on one, you can hop through them. You know, it's you know our little three, four, five thousand dollar products essentially drive the same as our fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollar stuff. You know, which again is not, I don't think any other brand really offers. Yeah. And the other thing about your product line is that the flagship model is still relatively affordable compared to other similar brands. Yeah, I like to say mid premium. Mid premium. Sort of, yeah. That's a good. That's a good way I to mean, say. I mean, we're it. not looking at two hundred thousand dollars here, but yeah. we could go up against some of those big ticket consoles in a lot of ways. Yeah, and we've, you know. People have opted to go ahead and get a D-Live, you know, 128 channel, 64 bus D-Live over the thing that cost $100,000 more. You couldn't push past the financial committee. So maybe they settled for a D-Live, but it actually ticks 70 to 80% of the boxes that they needed anyway. And they're still getting a great product. And it's a good calculator. That's awesome. Good Good. good computation device. (laughs) So anything we missed? Anything we need to talk about that you feel like oh our gosh. audience needs to know? Um, Alan Heath is uh, in a renaissance. 
as I said earlier, you know, a little story about our, our origins, you know, we were a big boy arena touring best of the best console brand 50 years ago. And the last DLive launched, I'm going to, I think about six, seven years, seven years ago, it was 2015. Gosh, time's gone. Um, but we are a completely different brand. If you knew Alan and Heath 10 years ago and, you know, didn't care for them or they were not near the top of your list, it would be unfair not to reconsider us today. You know, the workflow is familiar. The guts under the hood are a completely different thing. Our engineering department started out with three people and now it's about 50, you know, two dozen of which are just coding engineers. So we are a, a computer science, a very sophisticated uh, con- computer science outfit that's has a passion for audio. That's awesome. And as do the heads of our company, yeah. you know, Dr. Rob comes from the business. He is not an MBA who just got assigned to run the company. He's a lifer with us. In fact, he was a, a way high up engineer with the BBC. So, you know, from us in the U.S. who are representing the brand in sales management and um, product management to all the folks in the U.K., we're all users, or we were, yeah, or, or we're at least musicians. So <laughs> that's great. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing the story with us. Thank you for your training with me today and. I'm really looking forward to getting these videos in our subscribers' hands because I know for people who use Allen & Heath products, it's going to be super helpful. So thank you guys for your partnership, and um, we're just looking forward to what's next. Rock on. Let's keep doing it. Every day is a good day. Well, that's good. Kevin is a super smart guy, and I'm telling you, that company is onto something. We have more and more churches who are using their products, whether it's from the SQ series all the way through the biggest DLive systems. And, you know, it's it's a great value. I mean, the more I've messed with it, the more I appreciate, you know, 96K out of the box, um, really good channel processing, really good internal plugins. Um, the, it is a great console in that price range. Like, great. Yeah. As he said, the, t- the timing things between channels in terms of latency and all that is industry leading um so yeah for the price point it's it's a pretty incredible product so i'd encourage you to check it out well as always jay it's been a great pleasure to hang out for a minute um i hope you have a good trip back and i hope um are you wearing a lewis barbecue hat i am wearing a lewis barbecue hat they brought their second location to greenville and it is stunning. You need to come up here and join me for some Lewis barbecue in Greenville. That is a cool looking hat. Is that's what I'm Thanks. more interested in? Little corduroy. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah, the bar- the barbecue only lasts a few hours. You know, comes in, processes, and leaves the hats forever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, corduroy. Look at you, man. Corduroy's in right now, Jeff. I'm I'm proud of you. Hey, I may be old, but I'm old. that's great all right love you bro (laughs) all right we'll see you soon have a great week